Luke 17. Tonight I want to talk about what's happening to the majority of new believers. Uh, we've been last week and this week searching scriptures to find out about those Christians who aren't quite living like they should. You turn to Luke chapter 17, and, and some people have a problem with that. They'll see somebody get saved and get excited, and then they'll go off the rails. They go off the map. They disappear off the radar. You find them struggling with sin in their life, and uh, they, they're discouraged. You go, how can they be saved? Well, let me just tell you, folks, there are carnal Christians out there. And uh, just because they don't live the Christian life very well doesn't mean that they're, going, that they're not going to be with Jesus. All right. If you think you're living the perfect life, I'll show you somebody else who's living it better than you. So don't go comparing yourselves among yourselves because Paul says that is not wise. So when you see somebody else who is fallen, the Bible says you which are spiritual restore such a one. Don't imagine they're lost. Don't kick them. Don't say you must not be saved. That may or may not be true. You're not the judge. You're going to have to step back and go, but for the grace of God, there go I. I could be in the same mess. Now, Jesus gave an example to prove that not everyone will persevere. See, there's a concept in Calvinism that says the perseverance of the saints. Real saints will stay to the end. Well, I haven't found that to be true. All right. Peter didn't. There are times when you just want to quit. There are times when you fail or you fall out or you just, just walk away. You don't persevere. There's none of us that persevere, folks. And yet you're saved. You see, salvation is not based upon what you do. Salvation is based upon what he does. All right? So, uh, Jesus uses a parable, uh, actually a parable. He uses an, in, an incident that he meets ten men, and he asks us, he actually asks us in the Bible, and this is where I took it up, and he says, where are the nine? That's a good question. Out of those ten men, one of them comes back to him, Worships him, loves him, holds on to him, wants to stay with him. And Jesus asks, where are, the, where are the nine? Tonight, I want us to try and find him. Okay? Now, uh, by way of background, let's look at Luke chapter 17. When you found that, we'll pray again. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Father, I just ask you to just help us hear your word tonight. Let it cut and let it heal. Let it convict and let it confirm, Lord, what we already know to be true. We are frail. We are so unfaithful. And we need to be so much more. So tonight, we want to ask ourselves, are we part of the one or are we part of the nine? I'm glad everybody's here tonight. And I, I wish I wish a hundred more people were here tonight. But they're not here. And I'm not going to judge particularly them, Father, I want to judge my own heart and say, where am I? Am I with the one faithful or am I out there with the nine? I pray that my heart would know that it knows that it knows that I'm determined to stay with you. Encourage us tonight. Equip us and help us to fight against the draw of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Look there in verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. 
It was the most unusual miracle. He tells them to go back and show the priests that they were healed. Before they ever were healed, they decided to believe. And they decided to go. And as they went, as they believed, they were healed. A lot of times there's a, there's a lag between what God says to do and what we believe. If only we would believe, we would see the work of God in our life. Sometimes we wait, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Isn't that the opposite? Are we supposed to believe it and then we'll see it? So here are these, they believe it. They all are in type, in symbolism. They all are a picture of what salvation is. I believe and then I'm saved. Now, again, there's a doctrine out there, we call it Calvinism, that says God regenerates you and then you believe. No, not at all. God knocks, uh, uh, preaches to us, gets the gospel to us, but we've got to believe. And once we believe, then we're saved. So these ten here are a great illustration of getting saved. Keep going there, still going on. Uh, verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, when he realized what had happened, he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? And here they are. Here's the question. But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God. Save this Stranger, and said unto him, Arise, tell us to the one. He says, Go thy way, thy faith had made thee whole. So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. He's passing through Samaria. Guess who lives in Samaria? Samaritan. <laughs> they're not particularly very well, very doctrinally correct. They're, they're, as a matter of fact, they're got a lot of messed up doctrine. They, they worship their own way. The, Jesus says, You don't even know who you worship. Um, but there they were. They at least got one thing right. They needed Jesus. You know, your doctrine can be really messed up, but if you get one thing right, you need Jesus. You'll be okay, amen? So, they're passing through Samaria. Ten lepers try to approach them. They come from a distance. says, Lord, have mercy on us. He, they cry out for help, and Jesus immediately responded to their prayer. Jesus tells them to go and find a Jewish priest, show them their healing. And as they went, they were healed. It was absolutely, it must have been, Amazing to watch. You, Hollywood can't capture the emotion and the reality of the events of the Bible. They, you just, it's just, you have to read it and go, wow. They, you, if you've been away from your family, if you've been away from, from people, if you've been, been, uh, struggling with a disease that drains every bit of energy from you, fingers are falling off, your, your limbs are numb, skin is rolling off of your flesh, leprosy was such a destructive debilitating disease. And now from that moment where they begin to hobble and going into the village, they begin to be perfectly healed. Can you imagine how they felt? So there they go. And that must have been amazing because I think they started to run. Do you? I mean, I think they're jumping up. I think all the energy back in them. I think all the excitement that we're healed. They're shouting. They're running as fast as they can. And in the midst of all that, one of them turns around and comes back. One of them comes back, and he, and Jesus, and he's holding on to Jesus there, he's worshiping him, and, uh, Jesus asked two questions. Weren't there ten people? Weren't ten guys' lives changed? Where are the other nine? It's a good question. Alright? If Jesus asked it today, he would ask, where are those who have been saved, who've been blood bought, who've been redeemed from sin, 
Where are all the people who claim to be born again? Where are they? He'd ask that. I'd like to, I'd like to have an answer for that. Um, I have to ask myself sometimes, where are all those that have the joy of the Lord? I hope they're not down the disco. Uh, and I told you this, I said this last week, if everybody who got saved through the preaching of this pulpit and from the witnessing of the people in this church were all here, we'd have 1,500 people. 23 years, we dealt with a lot of people. Where'd they go? Now, I know some of them moved on, amen? Somebody asked me that one time, where's everybody? And I said, that's a tough question. Now, last week, we talked about that one man. We talked about where Jesus looked at me and says, your faith has made you whole, all right? And I want to say, just to remind you, a new believer often never experiences what the new birth was designed to give them. They never experience joy or rest or purpose or spiritual fruit or a walk with God. Just as these people were uh, uh, were healed, but sometimes people were made whole and made complete. And there's a simple reason why not everybody just just gets made whole, which means made right. You can be saved and still be wrong. Are you with me? And there's a simple reason, and that is the word thankfulness. They have never become thankful. And they've never learned how to be thankful for everything in their life. You think you become thankful for everything, and then the Lord tests you. And you find out, I'm not thankful for that. <laughs> now, there is a wholeness beyond salvation that is so healthy and so life-changing. And it comes from thankfulness. You say, what is, what is it about, about, um, my attitude? It wasn't until the 1970s, can you believe this, that doctors actually found out your attitude has more to do with your health than chemicals. There was a movie put out, uh, and it had, uh, Robin Williams in it. And it was some doctor, I forget, but it was, it's based on a true story that he saw just the constant, uh, loss of life in the hospital. And, and he was kind of a funny guy and he started to make people laugh and their health started to increase off the charts. And that was the beginning. You'd say doctors would already know this. They had no clue. They had never done any studies. And he began a decade long, in the true story, he began a decade long series of studies that checked the attitude of the person who is struggling with illness is more important than all the chemicals and the drugs and the operations and surgeries and the doctors could do. Your attitude. And so when Jesus said, your thankfulness has made you whole, isn't it, isn't it a sad thing that somebody can be saved and they just struggle all their life with depression and with defeat? And I know people do. We're not talking about the reality. We're talking about does it have to be? Attitude. Attitude is amazing. Uh, what would it mean to be thankful? What do any of us have to be really, have really to be thankful for? I mean, honestly, what are you thankful for? See on this side, somebody, what do you have to be thankful for? Jennifer? Alright, first and foremost, my salvation. What else? Yes? Your husband. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. God's faithfulness. Wow. You know, usually we talk about what we've got. And then we just realize just who God is. Is very, that's deep. We get to another level there. 
What else are we thankful for? The Word of God. Forgiveness. Come on, it ought to be rolling off our lips. Mona? Amen. 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 Let me ask you this. What's your thought life like? You look at situations and you're always criticizing, always fault-finding, or are you always amazed, grateful for the problems and the pleasures of life? Have you ever thought about what you think about? That's a strange question. Have you ever thought about what you think about? You ought to do it. Because I would probably, uh, I would probably warn you that you think about dark things, uh, critical things, depressive things, negative things, far more than you think about good things and right things. And even the unsaved know how toxic it is to be negative. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be negative. You gotta be negative sometimes. Alright? Sometimes, you gotta step back and go, I'm only negative, and I gotta get that thing fixed. I believe the devil's robbed 99% of us from our ability to be thankful. He robbed us of the ability even to be thankful. Not that we don't have reasons, but he's pulled the plug on our ability just to say thank you. That's why we have to go ahead and, and, and decide that I'm gonna look around and just be thankful for everything. Imagine if you were a little child and you just, uh, uh I think Connor's done it and I've seen other children do it. They start to pray at, at the tent, at the dinner table and they say, thank you God for my fork. Thank you God for my shoes. Thank you, God, for the air. Thank you, God, for the birds. You're going, would you just get to the food? <laughs> but couldn't we be like a little child sometimes and just start thanking God for the forks, for the air that we breathe? Mm-mm-mm. The truth is, many are born again. They're washed in the blood of Christ. They're headed for heaven. But they're miserable, and they make life miserable for everyone around them. Yeah. Simply because they don't appreciate what God has done for or is doing in their lives. I'm serious. You're either not whole or you're not helping anybody else be whole by just not being thankful. I mean, honestly, it was, it was a, uh, uh, a big deal to the Lord to say, this guy is doing the right thing. Can we not take that as going, I want to do the right thing too? I hope that's not you, but you forget to be thankful. Now let's move on to part two, which is what is happening to the majority of new believers? How many of you know who Peanuts is? Snoopy. Anybody know who Snoopy is? Okay, I'm, I'm not preaching out of the wrong direction. Okay. So where is everybody? All right. Where is everybody that should be living like Christians? They claim to be saved. They're supposed to be different, passionate, unashamed, living like Jesus did. They're supposed to love the Bible, love preaching, love church, and love people. Where are they? Well, remember how many are, are, are not there? Start off with ten. Jesus asked what? He says, where are the nine? Well, I went on a little study, and I thought it was kind of funny. And I said, I wonder if I'll find nine. I found nine different places. You ready? (laughs) I'll show you where the nine could be at any one moment, any time. Number one, they're unthankful. Where are they? They're in a place that's dark. They're in a place that is just disappointed with life, and they don't feel like going forward. Let's take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. Where is everybody? They're off doing things because they're unthankful. Romans chapter 1. Do you know one of the root sins of this world, and why it's in trouble with God, 
It's not adultery. It's not murder. It's not uh, uh, rape. It's not um, uh, child abuse. You know what? The one of the root sins of our world. You ready? Unthankfulness. Romans chapter one verse twenty one. Because that when they knew God. They, the unsaved, glorified him not as God, neither were what? But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You say, my heart can go dark? You better believe it. First group is they're unthankful. I, they got over getting saved. I don't want to ever get over getting saved. Amen? I never want to get over getting born again. But these guys are no longer impressed with the grace of God, no longer sit in amazement at the long-suffering of God that God just doesn't kill them every day. (laughs) They don't take notice of anything or anyone in their lives as gifts from God. To them, it's always, I need more, need it better. And so you know what happens? They fall away. Unthankfulness will cause you to fall away, and you'll just, you'll go away with salvation, and you'll never come back. That's a shame. Second group, go to Galatians chapter 5. Moves on from there. I'll tell you where these nine are. Second group are biting and devouring one another. These are Bible descriptive words. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5.15. Now let's go back for a second. Verse uh, 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but to, but by love, what should we do? Should serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, these are Christians. Take heed that ye be not consumed one another. You know what happens if you start mauling and biting and chewing on one another? You devour one another. We leave nothing left behind. Now this is, this is a, a, a strong statement, folks. To bite and to devour one another is not a physical thing. I, I hope they weren't biting one another. <laughs> some of the kids, you know, some of the parents remember when their kids were just, you'd go, ah, kuchi, kuchi, ow, you know. That's a child, okay? But we're dealing with adult Christians who are biting devour, biting words, devouring attitudes. That's, that's when they're angry, when they're bitter at other believers, when they're bitter at God, when they find fault with everyone. You wouldn't believe how many Christian people are each other's enemies. Scares me, man. All of this fighting drives the sheep apart into cliques, and it drives churches into ever smaller groups of bitter people. I don't know if you found that, but that's what I found. I discovered that, where'd they go? Oh, they started another church down the road. In America, you have some funny Christians. Somebody gets offended, somebody gets upset, and so a group of the church leaves, and they go start a church. And the church was the, the church they left was called Hope Baptist Church, and guess what the new church is called? New Hope Baptist Church. What? Don't join it, because they're a bunch of bitter old people. Amen? Amen. And young. <laughs> Fighting and devouring one another. Fighting will drive the sheep apart. And without even knowing it, a large number of believers 
have never looked at just how marvelous God's grace has been towards them amongst other imperfect people. Don't bite and devour one another. Love one another. Amen. Amen. Love them. Third, they focus, you'll find the third group focuses their time on doubtful disputations, arguments, and strange doctrines. Do you know the Bible says, let's, uh, let's go to 2 Timothy. We've got some scriptures to look at here. Doubtful disputations, arguments, and strange doctrines. Now, if I step on your toe, just say, ow. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. There are some things that as a Christian you're to avoid. What does avoid mean? Gavin, what is, I'm sorry, Kathy, what are you going to say, Kathy? Stay away from, to avoid, like, 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 um, chocolate mousse and uh, meringue pie, you know, when you're watching your figure. Uh, but there are some things, I didn't really think of you when I said that, but that was connected. I don't know why. I don't know. I'm going to get it now. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 23. We're to avoid these things. Verse, verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions Avoid knowing that they do gender what? Strife. You know, there's some discussions you just don't need to have. They're just, if you know it's going to cause an argument, don't say it. Amen. Foolish and unlearned questions. I, well, I think I, if you don't know, and if you know it's going to cause a fight, shut up. Amen. Amen. Avoid it. Uh, Titus chapter 3, go back a few pages to Titus chapter 3. I said to the right, I said left, I should say right. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. Other things we're supposed to avoid. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. Here's that word again. But avoid foolish questions. Here we go. There go the Mormons. And genealogies. If you notice anything about, about, about Mormons, they always want to find your ancestors. They want to find out. Were you baptized and where's your grandparents baptized by the Mormons and so on and so forth? Avoid foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Amen. Foolish questions. Well, can God create a rock that he cannot move? That is stupid. (laughs) That's just plain stupid. Avoid them. Fables. Look at First Timothy. Go back to the left. First Timothy chapter four. I'm sorry, chapter one, verse four. First Timothy chapter one and verse four. First Timothy chapter one and verse four says, Neither give heed to fables. What's the name of that fable of that guy that uh, uh created the giant's causeway? You know, he, he, he Finn McCool. All right. Uh, somebody wants to, can you, can you imagine getting caught up in all of these fables? And I think evolution is one of the biggest fables ever created. Don't give heed to fables and to endless genealogies, which only minister what? What do they create in the conversation? More questions. Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Hey, we're going to talk about how do you know whether the questions you're asking, whether the things that you're looking into, whether they're the right thing to look into, or you're wasting your time. Right there, you get a little bit. Is it ministering godly edifying? Ask yourself that. Fourth, First Timothy chapter 6. 
First Timothy chapter six. You'd be surprised at how many times we're told to avoid these things. First Timothy chapter six and verse three. If any man teach otherwise, teach other than what you're reading there in your Bible. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, healthy words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, if he doesn't consent to it, doesn't agree to it, he is what? Knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, that's yelling arguments, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain actually is God in this. And from such, what should you do? Sorry, I gotta go. Sorry, I, I don't want to be a part of this. Sorry, I just, I just, I'm just gonna leave. Amen. You have to avoid these things. Where are people? They're caught up in arguments about stupid things. That's where they are. Yeah. Uh, Romans chapter 14. I'll talk about those stupid things in a second. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, go ahead and receive. Somebody's just, they're not sure if they're saved. They're not sure, they're not confident in eternal security. They don't know if the King James Bible is the reserved word of God. They don't know if the Baptist church is the right kind of church. They just, they're, they're doubtful about everything. Go ahead and receive them. Amen. For one believeth that he may eat all things. That's me. Another who is weak eateth what? Only herbs. Let not him that eateth, that's me, despise him that eateth not. Uh, let not him that eateth, which eateth not, judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. So avoid doubtful disputations. Don't, listen, uh, something you're, if, if it's doubtful, if somebody's struggling with doubts, don't get into an argument. If they're not ready, they're not ready. But accept them as a brother. Amen. Maybe immature. He that is weak in the flesh, uh, weak in the faith, maybe they like, oh, uh, Sunday's of the devil. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. Amen. There are a lot of people who worship God and, and, uh, and <clears throat> they worry that, that they have to do it on a certain day. But you know, we could have church on Tuesday and we'd be fine. Amen. Amen. Some people would think, oh, if you have church on Saturday, doesn't matter when you have church. Just give it unto the Lord. Amen. Just make sure you worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Get that right. So, doubtful disputations is referring to where there's somebody who is weak and somebody who's confident, and you get into an argument, don't do it. Don't do it. Teach, instruct. If they don't want to learn, give them some time. Are you with me? Show you another one. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 14. See how many times he refers to these arguments. He says, 2 Timothy 2.14, Of these things put them, your church, in remembrance. Always remind them, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit. Remember the, uh, how many were here uh, the, the Sunday after um, 
uh, youth camp, and Barry, and who was it, Dean? And, and, and they, they argued over whether it is, what was the word? The first word was something, the next one was schedule or schedule. But what was the first word that they argued about? Decent or decent, that's right. They argued about words to no profit. That's the illustration. You're not saying it the British way. You know how? He goes, he says that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. The only reason why you are arguing is you're trying to convince them that you're right instead of, let's get them, let's get them under the gospel. This means, this is where people are obsessed. Go to Hebrews chapter 13 with diverse and strange doctrines. Hebrews 13, 9. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 9. Be not carried about. Look at that word. Look at how it's described. Carried about is like, like you just become obsessed with something and it's taking you for a ride. Be not carried about with diverse, that means many, and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with one doctrine. What's the doctrine? Grace. And not with Meats. How many of you were a six-year-old ch- child like I was? And I had my first steak my dad made off of the barbecue. And he gave me my... F- I remember eating... my The only steak I ate growing up was a tube steak. It was called a hot dog. And then I just remember to this day sitting down and my dad was cutting the steak. And he says, there, try that. I remember. And I must have chewed it for five minutes. It wouldn't chew. Because steak requires you to really chew it. Amen. And I wasn't ready for it. The Bible says, not with meats which have not profited them, which have been occupied, obsessed therein. There are, there are so many people who become obsessed with diverse and strange doctrines like the flat earth theory. Shame on you. Spend an hour studying, is the earth round or is it flat? There are people who are caught up in hyper conspiracy theories. Trump's the Antichrist. You said Obama was the Antichrist before. (laughs) Alien invasions. I know they're here. Channeling spirits. I talked to somebody at the edge of my bed. Did you? Back in the 70s, people were into crystals and pyramids. People were wearing pyramids as hats thinking it was going to heal their brain. Didn't work. They get caught up in the strange doctrines of the prosperity gospel, caught up in thinking that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. People get caught up in uh, uh, the strange doctrine of trying to keep the Sabbath. You can't keep the Sabbath, folks. Just write it off. People get caught up in losing their salvation. They get caught up in worldly philosophies about life and God. They listen to Oprah Winfrey more than they listen to God. All of the afternoon talk shows... Uh, and, and they get caught up in all these things, politics. Do you know the answer to all those things? Found there in, in Hebrews 13, 9. Good doctrines establish your heart in grace. Just putting up with stuff. Diverse and strange doctrines establish the heart with pride and self-righteousness. So if you become so obsessed with some certain doctrine, and you come to me and say, Pastor, you're wrong. You're wrong about this truth. I know right away you've been obsessed with a strange doctrine because every verse in the Bible is going to establish our hearts in grace with one another, not wanting us to, to rebuke one another constantly. Amen. 
Fourthly, where is everybody? Offending, offended and not forgiving one another. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 3. They're offended. <laughs> I saw a little meme go up and it said, if I haven't forgot, if I haven't offended you today, just give me a little more time. <laughs> Everybody's offended today, man. First Corinthians 3, 3 says, for ye are yet carnal. He's speaking to Christians. For whereas there is among you, watch these words, envying, who, where is envy ever fit into a Christian life? Strife, that's an argument and fight, and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men and not as Christians? Look at chapter 6. In verse 6, 6, 6. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. You're offended, and then you go to law. You go to the torts. Second Corinthians chapter 12 now. Second Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 20. Where's everybody? They're at home sucking their thumb because they've been upset at the preacher or somebody in church. I, I can't explain it. I, I don't understand it. It just happens. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. Lest there be debates, envyings, What's the next word? In Christian lives? In churches? Rats? I mean, wow. <clears throat> Strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings. That's a riot. Can you imagine having a church where people's going on riots? Swellings? Tumults? Wow. You believe any of that would be going on, going on amongst Christians? And yet it does. God delivers us from People who are constantly offended at everything among them. I found that it doesn't matter what you do, everything you do is going to upset them. Nothing's just ever right. They're never just blessed. I mean, you know, they, they, I, I, I want to help everybody. I want to be around everybody. Well, not everybody. No, no. I want to be around everybody. I really try to love everybody. But listen, if, if, if I, if I just can't, how you doing? If I just can't get encouraged by you and you get encouraged by me, what good are we? What good are we? If there's just envying, you got a better suit than me. Driving a nicer car, it's not fair. It's not right. I'm the preacher. Envying, wrath, swellings. I'm offended at you. You never shake my hand. Never just blessed and happy and content. You know, it's just good to be around people who just... Glad to be around you. Amen? Amen. So, Pastor, what do I got to do to impress you? Nothing. Nothing. You know, there's a lot of people who are Marthas. Always bitter. Always fine. Well, nobody's helping me. Where is everybody? I need everybody helping over me. Get Martha. Get, would you rebuke my sister? Everybody's a Martha these days. Upset that things aren't working right. Be a Mary for a while. Just sit at the feet of Jesus. Let everything else fall apart. You'll be a whole lot happier. There's so many people who have been offended and they just can't forgive and go on. Fifthly, 
They're people who are loving this world. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy four ten. For Demas hath forsaken me. That's harsh words. Having loved this present world. First John two fifteen says, Love not the neither the things that are in the world. For most of what the world does it say most of the world? No, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know, there are people who love success. They love money. They love careers more than they love loss and weaknesses and living a living sacrifice. They couldn't handle it if they lost their job. They couldn't handle it if, if things didn't go well for them. They are so keyed in to loving this world, they've never thought about laying up treasures in heaven. You know what God calls them? Fools. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, because he had done nothing but build up his empire like Trump and like all of these people who are making wealth, and they've never been ready. And God and Jesus calls them a fool. You know, I wouldn't want to be a Christian fool who's caught up in the same thing. There are a lot of successful Christian people, but this is what I found out. Are you ready? How many remember a guy named, I probably never met him, Elvis Presley? How many of you know that name? Everybody does. Did you know Elvis Presley used to go to a Baptist church? It was Southern Baptist church, but he went to a Baptist church. He loved being in church. He sang in church. He would, with his guitar, very simple songs, would sing part of the teen group. But when he was at public school one day, he brought his guitar and he stood up there and he sang a little song he wrote and the kids went crazy. And they went, wow. And he found out how good he was. And Elvis Presley went to a recording studio, recorded a simple song, and they got him on the ticket, and he became famous. Within two years, he was doing, as a, as a teenager, 17, 18 years old, however he was, he started doing tours and making serious money and super popularity, and he never looked back on where his humble beginnings were. And he died a druggie. He died empty. What happened? He got caught up in the world. He didn't go to church anymore. You never found him in church one day after he was like 22 or 23, after he got married the first time. He didn't go back to church. What happened? I don't know. Somebody said he got saved back when he was a kid. I I sure can't tell if he did. But let me tell you this. Whatever he was, he didn't die that way. He certainly doesn't have the testimony of a Christian. He fell in love with the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there are a lot of you, if you got some money... You never see you again. Amen. If you had the popularity, if you had the, 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 the government calling you for advice and bringing you up to Dublin to go to the four courts and to make position, make, make, uh, uh, bills and stuff, we'd never see you again and you'd never be in church again. Because when you love the world, you can't love God at the same time. It just doesn't work. So there's nothing wrong with being a success. There's nothing wrong with working and being a good success. There is something where you stop that simple walk with God and that prioritizing of your of, of things that are right, like being in church. I don't care how important you are. You ought to be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, unless you're a doctor, unless you're a, 
a, uh, a garda, unless you have an extremely good excuse, why would you say that that importance negates Jesus' priority? Where is everybody? Most Christians are at number five. They just love the world. They're more interested in whether they've got two jobs, they've got enough money coming in, and everybody suffers. All right, I said it. Where is everybody? Lazy. There are just some lazy Christians out there. Amen, amen. You can get mad at me all you want. But you know what? It's just as hard for the rest of us to get here on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening and a Wednesday evening as it is for you. It's just as hard. It takes just as much effort to read our Bibles chapter by chapter every day as it does you. Count up how many hours you sit on your laptop watching YouTubes, sitting on Facebook. Count up how many hours you sit and watch show after show on TV, how many movies you get every month, and then tell me how many times you make it to church or to the side of your bed in prayer. There are legitimate reasons sometimes why you have to miss church or not be able to spend very much time in the Bible. But according to the Bible, God says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth, nor standeth in the... Sorry. Nor sit and see the scornful, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Is that right? Thank you. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This book says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. I don't care how many people make a habit of not being in church. I will, I will not follow. I will stay. But exhorting one another. Folks, I, the reason why I read the Bible is because I love it. And if I stop loving it, guess what? I read it anyway, because my love comes back. But I, I do not want to be known as a lazy person. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to call you lazy. I'd like to. <laughs> but one day Jesus will call you. And he does it. Thou sloth. You ever, good and faithful servant? He'll call to others. He'll say, thou slothful and wicked servant. I don't want to be on that side. Where are they? Where are the people? Just... Too busy, too tired, not interested, too lazy. They're terrified, number seven, of suffering for Christ. Go to John 9. John chapter 9. John 9, 19. <clears throat> now, a, a man who was born blind has been healed by Jesus Jesus has now stepped back and let an argument ensue about how could this happen? And the Pharisees are all furious, saying, how could this happen? They bring in in this man's parents. In verse 19, they ask them, saying, is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. Well, I hope so. I'd hate my mom to deny me. I don't know him. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. Verse 22, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that Jesus was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Why didn't they speak up for their son being healed by Jesus? They're afraid of suffering. Go to chapter 12. Chapter 12, 42. And verse 42 and 43. 
John 12, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, hey, these are the bigwigs. These are the top dogs. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. No, shh, keep it under wraps. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They lose their position, they lose their clout, they lose their popularity. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They were afraid. Afraid of having to suffer for Christ. Peter didn't realize, didn't even think about how hard it would be to live under mockery and persecution. He never imagined how hard it was going to be. And yet he crumbled, and he ran, and he quit on Christ. And so do many Christians. You know what happens with, with some Christians? They get saved, and I, just like me, when I first got saved, I don't know, I don't know what's the difference between me and some people. I don't know. I got a fistful of tracks, and I took my Bible to school, and I just started handing out tracks. I says, guys, you gotta get saved. I didn't even really understand what saved all meant. I didn't understand what born again all meant. I didn't know hardly anything. I just knew people needed to get what I got. And I remember just handing it out, and I remember them taking the thing and laughing and ripping it up. And I didn't, I didn't look at them going, oh, that hurt. And, and they mocked and they laughed and Craig's gone off the rails. But some people get very hurt when they get persecuted. And they say, most people do. Most Christians, as soon as they get saved, they want the world saved. Amen? But then when they start to give their family the gospel and then their family <laughs> fight back, they shut down and then they disappear. It just happens. Don't let it happen to you. Um, they're terrified of suffering for Christ. They're arguing over who... This is this blew me away. As I'm looking at the study, they argue over who's greater or who'll be greater in Christ's kingdom. Go to Luke chapter 9. This is almost the last one. Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, 46. Two times here in Luke 9 and in Luke 22. The disciples, Jesus catching them, catches them, arguing about superiority. Are there better churches than ours? Oh, I know what I'd like you to say. <laughs> Amen. Think about it. Do you know there are churches that really have a superiority complex? And they love it. Watch this. Luke chapter 9, verse, what did I say? 46. Then there arose a reasoning among his disciples, which of them should be the what? What? I mean, these guys are arguing about, hey, you know, I'm Jesus' favorite. Hey, you know what? I'm going to sit closest. I'm going to have the highest throne. I'm going to have the most power. I can't comprehend that. Go to chapter 22. Luke 22. Look, sorry. Yeah, Luke 22, 24. This is the only time that they get caught doing this. They seem to do it often, which really blew, blew me away. I didn't even notice it happened twice in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. And there was also a strife among the disciples, which of them should be accounted the greatest. It's amazing. Let me say this. I have found Christians, and I don't doubt their salvation, but you listen to me for just 10 seconds here. Let me say this. I have found people who've never won a soul to Christ, never taught a Sunday school class, 
never completed anything spiritual in their life, and yet they will spend hours talking about the rapture and the second coming and the millennial kingdom and who's going to be reigning with Christ. And they talk about, oh, it's going to be glorious. And they have nothing to glory in. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. When Christians put more of their time in debates than soul winning, there's a problem. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that, yippee, we are the children of God. Amen. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Uh Uh-oh. If so be that we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. He's not talking about that you're not going to go to heaven, but there'll be no honor given to you, no rewards, no greatness. The disciples of Christ seem to often argue about this subject. You know what the truth is? I'm just glad I'm going. I want to stay faithful. I'm not trying to rack up notches on my belt, and I know people who do. Well, I, I saved six people this week. You didn't save nobody. Amen. Oh, I read 48 chapters yesterday. Amen. What'd you do today? Well, I kind of haven't had time to read it. Yeah, you you used up all yesterday. You don't have any time today. You know, if all you're doing is bragging, you know what God's doing? Scratch that. Scratch that. No reward there. No reward there. No reward there. Amen. You're going to get to heaven and go, Lord, look at all I did. And he said, you got your reward already down on earth. Amen. If you're trying to be great in heaven... And you're trying to accomplish all these things so that you're great. Let me tell you, you got it backwards. I'm just glad I'm going. I want to live all out for the Lord. And if he rewards me, I'll be happy. If I'm in by the skin of my teeth, I'm going to shout. I'll be happy. I just don't want to fail him. And lastly, is most serious. And that is plenty of Christians are back under the bondage of their sins. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. And anybody who's ever dealt with are you and 12 weeks to freedom you know these this concept is you watch somebody get saved get on fire for god and then boy the devil gets them by a lie and tricks them and trips them up and you see them back under the bondage of that sin and it grieves you and you never see them again where are those that get saved brother i better what where are they some of them are struggling Struggling with sin, still. Second Peter chapter two verse nineteen. While they promise, these are the these are the TV, the movie stars, the musicians. They promise them liberty. They themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, the same of the same as he brought in bondage. Whatever overcomes you, puts you in slavery. For if after they have escaped, talking about people who get saved, they that have escaped the pollutions of the, of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if after they have escaped, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. The latter end of their souls? No. This is not dealing with you losing your salvation. The latter end is your life. There's nothing more remorseful, more sad, more defeated than somebody who has been saved, and they're under the bondage of sin again. There's nothing more destructive than when the devil has devoured somebody. Don't you join them. 
You say, I'm struggling with habitual sin. Get the victory over it. Because that is meant to be a trap that will destroy you. In the end, it is worse than you've ever imagined. All of those nine, every one of them were saved. Every one of those situations that we've gone through were just like those other nine healed lepers, just as saved as that one that came back and thanked them. But sadly, they've become of no use to God. You're arguing, your wrath doesn't glorify God, doesn't bring honor to God. They become of no use to God and instead have become great tools of the devil. Think about the bad testimony of your children. I'm never going back to that church. Boy, that preacher, just a loud mouth texting. No, I don't want to ever go back. You know what that says to your kids? I'm not going to go to church ever again either. Bad testimony, man. You became, you pick up that attitude, you pick up that inability, just be thankful for a church in Ireland. Um, you become a tool of the devil, man, if you don't do it. Become a bad testimony. I thought you were a Christian. Remember when your workmates thought you were a Christian? There you are going out with them drinking again. Saying filthy words coming out of your mouth. I thought you were a Christian. Bad testimony. You become a tool of the devil. What could cure all of this? Let's look at them in reverse very quickly. Look at them in reverse. How do you cure nine away Christians who ought to be back in uh, 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 in a local church, serving God all together. What should you do? Number one, it happens by being thankful. Just be thankful for everything from this moment on, by chance and not by feeling. That's how you cure a lot of problems. Be thankful for your husband. Be thankful for your kids. Be thankful for your church. Be thankful for your King James Bible. Hold your tongue. No more biting and devouring one another. Well, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. I don't know why I keep looking at you. I don't understand it. It's like this pull. <laughs> it's because you keep laughing. Third, dump all stupid and doubtful disputation arguments. I mean, look, if you're not convinced the earth is round, just leave it. There are more things to study and learn and figure out. If you're stuck on the flat earth theory and that the... Uh, continent of Af- of Antarctica is this 400 sheet uh, uh, wall of ice that nobody's ever. You're stupid, but it doesn't matter to me. Just just go on, but don't get caught up in it. Amen, amen, amen. Just hold, just just dump it. That's a strange doctrine, man. That's not really a moon. There are no satellites up there. That's what they say, and I'm mocking on purpose. Okay. Because it is a strange doctrine. And it doesn't minister grace to anybody. Just dump it, man. There's some good stuff to get caught up in. Grow up and stop being always offended. Amen. Get some backbone. Get some skin. And just, if I upset you, tell me. Amen. Now, why'd you say that? (laughs) But forgive one another. When some, when you're offended and somebody crosses you, just tell them, man, that hurt. Amen. And let's go on. Repent of love in this world. Amen. You're willing to risk everything so that you can have that second job and you can have that extra money and you can go on that second holiday. Let me tell you this. You're not reading your Bible. You're not in church. You're not soul winning. I'm going to tell you this. You're on a dangerous path. Got to repent of love in this world. You got to get a job. If you're ever going to stop being lazy, you need to get a job, you need to go everywhere you go, you need to be early, and you need to make church a priority. Get over being lazy. 
Amen. Because lazy people are the devil's delight. He takes and he has control over somebody who doesn't have anything to do. Number seven, suffer for Christ anyway. All they that live godly shall be blessed. All they that live godly shall suffer persecution. Suffer anyway. No more arguing over who's greater, who'll be greater in Christ's kingdom. I think it's some church down the road or whatever. I leave them alone. I mean, they start going around to our people, starting telling people false doctrine. I may have to deal with the thing, but you know what? I got better things to do than just go head to head and argue with that kind of mess. I'm not, I'm not trying to say we're more superior. I had, I had people yesterday. It was a great question. People say, what's the difference between you and Catholics? Oh, I could say a lot. But instead of saying all that stuff, you know what I say? We just follow the Bible. Let me show you what the Bible says. A priest ought to be, a bishop ought to be the husband of one wife. That's a good thing. I mean, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I got him in the Bible. Jesus said, you must be born again. Doesn't say become a Catholic. Doesn't say become bad. Just be born into God's family. Not baptized. Is that what it says? What's the difference between you and Catholic? I'm Bible only. Oh, I like that. Amen. Do whatever you have to to get victory over whatever sin, whatever habitual sin has got you. Man, get into 12 weeks to freedom. Talk to me. Do whatever you have to so that you don't get pulled away by habitual sin that has no dominion over you. It shouldn't. Shouldn't let it. All right, here are the last two questions. Do you want to join with the majority of Christians who never go on for Christ and end up being used by the devil? I said, Christians being used by the devil? You want to go with the nine? Or do you want to be part of the few, the faithful and determined followers of Jesus, the Son of God? I want to be like him. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads in prayer. We studied a lot tonight, I know. But a really good, what a really good contrast. I know this. I'm preaching to the choir, I hope. But don't you think for a minute the devil's not in the background thinking about how he's going to bring you down. And he'll bring you down through one of those nine ways. He'll bring the Christian down. you got to determine whether you're going to let him. See, every one of those nine men went away from Jesus, not even thinking that they would be so caught up in another life now. They've been given a second chance. They can give back their families, all good stuff, but they forgot Jesus. Can you imagine doing that? And yet Christians do. I've seen too many Christians walk away. Don't join them. Father, thank you for reminding us there was one. Whether there's whether there is fifty or a thousand or five hundred or one, I want to be that one. I want to be the one that thanks you every day. And I want to learn how to thank you for everything, good and bad, painful and pleasure. Lord, I want to control and hold this tongue. I don't want to go down the path where I turn into a a mean machine. It is such a temptation. And it is so wrong. Father, I love you. I thank you for loving us. Would you help us tonight to take this moment and say, "Mm, thank you for one lone leaping leper. It shows me I don't have to be like the nine. I don't have to go down that path. I'm afraid to go down that path. I just want to stay near to you. I want to walk in the Spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I want to 
enjoy the liberty that's in Christ, not in the world. All right. With that in mind, I want to start thanking you for everything. And I do, in Jesus' name, amen.